0: Good evening, family. Uh, I hope everyone is doing well this evening. Uh, how are you guys feeling about the results this afternoon? That's good. Huh? Yes, the Formula One. Because uh, that's what we all really care about uh, in this time in our lives is the Formula One. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm just getting myself set up. So, uh, welcome. We are having a SR Sunday uh, SR Sunday, social responsibility, as Gerard um, shared earlier. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yes, cool. Um, <sighs> sorry. Mm. Cool. So, uh, we are, it's SR Sunday and it's social responsibility. Uh, and as we're going through the message this evening, it will be easy for us to think about social responsibility as an every nation idea because it is in our mission statement right? But it is actually not an every nation idea. Uh, And I pray that we would open up our hearts to what the word of the Lord is saying um, around this this issue. Uh, Because social responsibility is something that demands a gospel response. Um, It's not an every nation idea. Uh, It is a Jesus idea. This is something that he thought up uh, and he um, came up with. Uh, And the reason why I say it is a gospel idea is because when Jesus died on the cross for us and when he redeemed us, his blood... uh, demands that we serve him with our all with our time, with our finances, uh, with our gifts, with our talents, um, with every single thing in our lives, we are supposed to be serving Jesus. So his lordship doesn't just touch some areas of our lives, but it touches every single area of our lives. And so even it's from Jesus, that is, he's the one who determines how we're actually even supposed to uh, to use our time. Uh, and when you look throughout scripture, and even when you look at the life of Jesus and you see how he spent his time, uh, Jesus prides Prioritized um, those who are uh, marginalized in society. He, pro- he spent his time uh, with the sinner. Uh, he spent his time with those who needed him the most, not with the religious, but he spent his time with those who are on the fringes of society, uh, with those who are perceived to be on the fringes of his love, on the fringes of his uh, presence and his grace. That's where he spent majority of his time. And if we want to be like Christ, that is how we ought to pattern our lives. One of the things about being young, right, is that you, you have certain ideas about your life, what you want to achieve with your life, what you want to do with your life. And all those things are good, right? They, they, they're not bad. And the career that you want to pursue, it's good that you want to pursue that career. But that should not be the ultimate goal of your life. Your ultimate goal of your life is to bring glory to God and to live in a way that pleases God, And so one of the things we are supposed to be doing on a day-to-day basis is finding out, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing today? What is on your heart for me for today so that I can live according to what's on your heart rather than what's on my heart? A lot of the time we live our lives on autopilot. We wake up, uh, we have our to-do list, we have what we want to do. But it's very rare that we actually take the time to pause, slow down and find out, Jesus, what is it that you want to do and how can I be on mission with you today and that's at the core of social responsibility because one of the tough things about social responsibility is that it's going to cost us not just our time it's going to cost us money it's going to cost us uh, our everything the things that are most important to us will start getting less of our attention but getting but what's most important to jesus will start getting more um attention so let me open for us in prayer father i thank you that you are good I thank you that you are faithful. Father, thank you for your blood that you have set us free. And Father, I pray that we would hear you speak this evening. Father, as, as Christian so powerfully prayed um, in, the, in our Willow's PM prayer before the service, that whatever it is I have on my heart, may it be surrendered at your feet. May you be the one to speak in and through me. May they hear your voice as your children. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So this uh, evening sermon is going to be coming out from James chapter 1 uh, verse 27. And so James, uh, for those of you who don't know, is the half-brother uh, of Jesus. And so James knew Jesus pretty well. He lived like his entire life with Jesus. Um, And now James is leading a group of Christians in Israel. And now these Christians are coming under persecution, some extreme persecution to a point where they have to now leave their homes, leave their work, leave their jobs. And then James uh, puts this scripture, um, this command in there where he's speaking to them, despite their situation, despite what's going on, that this should be the priority in your life. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through something, um Jesus can wait Right, because I need to sort out what's happening. I need to sort out the situation. I am going through a tough time. The the, 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 the Christians in Israel were also going through a tough time. Can you imagine? You no longer have a house. You no longer have a job. You are on the run. You are fearing for your life. And so naturally in that time, your priority is that I need to stay alive. I need to find where my next meal is coming from. I need to just make it into the next day. What I'm going through right now is the most important thing. And I don't blame them for having that thought. I would have that thought. I continually have those thoughts uh, even today. But James then writes the scripture and he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this: is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so, what religion is? is that religion is our acts of worship. Religion is our worship expressed through our acts. And in order for our acts to be, uh, un- uh, as it says here, in order for our acts to be pure and undefiled. They need to be acts that bring glory to God. They need to be acts that God is commanding us to do rather than acts that we want to do. It's possible for us with sincere intentions and sincere motives to worship God in the wrong way. As we've seen in the sermon series that we have just done uh, now uh, around worship is that it is possible for us to worship anything and everything but God, even though our intentions are to worship God. And when we worship anything and everything but God, that type of worship is defiled. That type of worship is impure because it's not about God, but rather it is about anything and everything but God. A lot of the time we can even make worship about us as well. And God and, and James is challenging that that in this time that even though you are going through the most, even though your life is difficult right now, even though you don't know where your next meal is coming from, even though you don't have a roof over your head, you still need to worship God because He comes first, despite your situation. And that's so hard. But this is coming from someone who lived his entire life with Jesus. And so, therefore, I can trust what this man is saying because he's seen it all, he's done it all, he's been through it all. He's offering us wisdom that will help uh, bring uh, clarity in the situations that we are going through. That what is most important, whether things are going good, whether things are going right, uh, things are going good or things are going bad, whether we have much or we have little, our priority should be living a life that brings honor and glory to God. In everything we do, we should be seeking, God, how can I be worshiping you today? Because it's so easy for us as Christians, as born-again believers, to live our lives on autopilot, thinking that we are worshiping God in the lives that we are living, yet we aren't worshiping God. We're just far away from him. I have been challenged with this, that I am in full-time vocational ministry. So I basically work for Jesus, right? And for me, it's easy for me to think that because I work for Jesus, I am worshiping God. Because I work for him, right? So therefore, everything I do is worship unto God. But a lot of the times, I have to be honest and say there are things that I do that, men don't bring glory to God. And God has been challenging me on this as well. To say that, are you using your time in such a way that it brings glory to me? Are you using your finances in such a way that it brings glory to me? Are you stewarding your relationships in such a way that it brings glory to me? Are you seeking my heart in each and every single thing that you do? Or are you just doing things because you think that's what's needed in this season, in this time in your life? And it's so easy for us to fall into that trap where we get busy uh, doing things for God rather than being with God where even our serving at church on a Sunday is for the mere fact that we, it's a tick-the-box exercise rather than uh, that I'm here to serve and worship God. Even coming to church on a Sunday can easily fall in a tick-the-box exercise where it's like, yes, I was at church, but you weren't even aware what Jesus is doing on that Sunday in your own life, let alone what he's doing in the congregation. This is something that Jesus is challenging me on actively because our worship needs to be expressed through our acts. That is what real religion is. It is pure and undefiled, but it's before God the Father. It's not before man. It's not before our dreams and our desires. It's not before what we want to do, but it's before God and what he wants to do in and through us. And so James, the Lord's brother, goes on and he says the following. Is, is this, is that this is what a pure and undefiled uh, religion looks like, is that you visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So I'm being afflicted currently. I don't have a home. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I am on the run. I am scared I'm going to die. But I have to look and think outside of myself and look to those who are even more afflicted than I am, to the orphan and the widow. The Bible describes an orphan and a, and a widow Is this, Um, it means to be deprived, cut off, stripped bare, or abandoned. In the Bible, a widow and an orphan is someone who is bereft of the full provision and flourishing that can be provided by a husband or a family. The circumstances that leave uh, people bereft in these situations include a lot of things. But because they are bereft, they are without provision, they are without family, they are alone, they are on the fringes of society, they don't have a family, they are abandoned, they should be our priority. And we're not doing this so that we can look good in our social media, um, You know, because there's been that trend where people are now giving um, so that they can get views on TikToks, they can get views on their YouTube, but rather this is something that we ought to be doing as worship unto God. That despite what you're going through, despite your financial situation, your priority should be the widow and the orphan. Those who are deprived, those who are cut off, and those who are stripped bare, and those who have been abandoned. And here's the thing about orphans and widows, that they have nowhere to go. In biblical times, when you were a widow, um, once your husband dies, because remember, your husband go, the the, the husband c- comes, he takes you from your family, right? Um, obviously, it's not like by force, but it's like, hey, come marry me, um, and then he takes you to a land far away from your family, and then you go start your life, and then it's great, and then it's amazing. And, you know, it's, it's at the time where, you know, patriarchy was also a thing where it, it, was, a, it was ruling. So women weren't necessarily working. The wife was in the house uh, giving the man babies, making food, making clothes. Uh, the man was out in the field working. And then as soon as the husband dies, right, now there's no one there to come protect the family because now you are vulnerable. When you're an orphan and you lose uh, your, your, your parents, you are in a vulnerable position. You are in a desperate position and there's no one to care for and to provide for you. And so you're on the streets, you're begging, you're trying to make things happen. You resort to a life of crime. Widows in the Old Testament would also resort to a life of prostitution. Simply because they, they need to make ends meet. And Jesus' priority is these people because... He had a plan for them, but unfortunately the plan did not go according to plan because sin has entered the picture. And we're sitting here and we're thinking, man, why should I even care about the orphan and the widow? Yes, you know, this is something that God commands us, but here's the reality is that we were, we were once orphans and widows ourselves. So how were we orphans and widows? So it, it goes according to God's redemption plan, is that because of sin, we were born into a world where we no longer have a heavenly father, we were born into situations where we no longer have God as our husband because that's what scripture says that we are the bride of Christ um, i don 't know about you, but you know a bride has a, a groom, um, and so therefore, as a man I'm, I too am a bride of Christ, and so God is my husband right but how will, because of sin we don't have that relationship with God, and for me, what that looked like is that um, in my life was that my um, when I was young, my parents got divorced, um, and so that was a tough situation that just wasn't clear, it didn't make sense, I didn't understand. It was weird. Um, and in the divorce settlement, the court had ordered my father at the time to pay around about 1,500 rand a month in uh, maintenance um, so that we can have the basic needs and necessities met. But my mom, uh, who she was, she was like, ah, I know this man. This man will not give 1,500. So rather, order him to, pay, uh, to buy a 10 kg of maize meal each and every single month. Um, everything else I'll figure out. And unfortunately, my dad even failed to do um, just the 10 kg. Uh, 10 kg of maize meal right now is about like 120. Uh, but back then, it was way cheaper than that. So he couldn't even do 10% of the 1,500. And so that left us in a very desperate position because my mom was a teacher. She wasn't earning a lot of money. Uh, she had to make ends meet. Uh, we, I, there was a time where I only had one pair of shoes, which was my school shoes, and I had to wear them everywhere. And so there was a very difficult situation. That In that moment, I started believing that, man, I am not loved, that I am abandoned, that I am not cared for, that I am stripped bare, that I am deprived, that I am cut off from the love of the Father. And in those moments, I started thinking that God surely does not love me. God surely does not care, that I am on the fringes of society. As time went on, uh, because in the divorce settlement, uh, the court had ordered uh, the house to be put under my mom's name. Uh, my father came back, and he, he wanted to fight that, and he wanted to use me to fight that, that the, that the house be sold and that he gets 50% and my mom gets 50%. And I was like, no, man, that doesn't make sense. Like, we, we, where will me and my mom and my brother live? We need a home. We need a, a roof over our head. And so then my father um, disowned me because I didn't want to side with him, right? And so now, again, now, not only was he not providing for me, but now he came out and he told me that you are no longer my child confusing time again and so now I didn't not only did my father didn't want to care for me but my father didn't want me him saying that cemented the fact that my father did not love me at all and so that led me to looking for love in anywhere and everywhere but God because again God doesn't love me God doesn't care for me and so I looked for God everywhere And what that ended up doing in my heart is that I had an orphan spirit, is that I behaved like an orphan. I lived my life as an orphan. uh, And I was just trying to make things work for myself because no one, because again, in my heart and in my mind and in everything I did, I was deprived, I was cut off, I was stripped bare, and I was abandoned. I fit the biblical definition of being an orphan. And if you're sitting here and you can't relate to this testimony if you were, no one here was born a Christian, we were all born into sin. We are all born into a broken world. We are all born outside of a relationship with God. And because of that, we were, all, we were all orphans outside of Christ. In, Gen, in Galatians 3, he speaks about when we get saved, we are given the spirit of adoption by which we can call to God, Abba, Father, is that the only time we can start calling God Father is when we get saved. And and it's through the spirit of adoption that we are able to do this. It is only when we get saved that we are added to his body, the church, that we become the bride of Christ. So outside of Christ, we are all orphans and widows. Spiritually, that was our position. But in Christ, we are sons and daughters. We are the bride of Christ. And because of that, we can look to the orphans and the widows of this world because we, we may not under, fully understand the physical situation that they find themselves in, but we definitely understand the spiritual situation that they are in because we were once in that situation. And because of that, we are called to go to the orphan and the widow and to care for them in their time of need. And to visit the orphan and the widow isn't just to visit and see them. Hi, how are you? Hey, yeah, I'll bring you some shoes. No, 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 no. It's to actually get our hands dirty and be involved in their lives so that we can see God's redemption in their lives. I think about Moses in the Old Testament. Moses was an orphan because of a law that Pharaoh had passed and his family had to abandon him so that he doesn't get killed. And Pharaoh's daughter took him in and raised him. And he eventually fulfilled the purposes of God because someone took him in. We look at Esther, who also lost her parents in the Old Testament as well. And after losing her parents, her cousin adopted her and raised her as his own. And because of his influence, because of him taking her in, she was able to fulfill the purposes of God in her life. We look at Joseph as well, who because of his family, ended up becoming an orphan in a strange land and he became a slave. But God's plan prevailed because someone took him in. He found favor in Potiphar's eyes. Where that favor ended, he eventually found favor in Pharaoh's eyes because God had a plan. And so we have this opportunity. It's either we are going to partner with what God is doing in the world Oh, we are going to go on in our own agenda, doing our own thing with our own plans, with our own desires, and see that come to fruition. But here's the thing. When we get to heaven one day, God is going to hold us accountable. God will not care about, he will not ask you about your degree. God will not ask you about your job. God will not ask you about the rugby score. God will not ask you about all the things that we find valuable and important. God will ask you, did you love me and did you love people? Because that is the most important thing to God. And I'm not saying your degree is not important. I'm not saying that your job is not important. I'm not saying that the rugby is not important. But let us appropriate things correctly. Is that let us make the first things first, which is what is on God's heart. That should be our ultimate priority. Everything else come second. It shouldn't come first. It shouldn't supersede our worship for God. And so again, James is challenging a people where their situation is a difficult situation, that their priority should be what's on God's heart, not their situation. It is easy for us to look at our situations and think, I don't have money. I don't have this, that, and the other. Therefore, I cannot care for the orphans. I cannot care for the widow. But James, knowing full well what the people were going through, still dared to speak this command. In 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 chapter one and earlier on in verse two it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because those trials are there to grow your faith. Those trials are there for you. God is using those trials to develop the godly character in your heart and in your life. God is working in you. He's doing something. But while he's working, go and work in the lives of other people as well. Our priorities should be what is on God's heart. And so my challenge to you, because I also personally am challenged with this, Um, you know, one of the things I did uh, at the time, it sounded like a great idea, but, you know, God has been reminding me of it, is that when I was dating uh, my girlfriend and my now wife, I was like, you know, yeah, I think I'd like to adopt one day. I'm like, you know, it would be great to adopt. Um, And uh, now that I have two kids, you know, my goodness, I love my kids, they're great, so amazing. (laughs) but they can be a menace and annoying at times. And a few months ago, I was like, I'm done. No more. Two is where I draw the line. Two, this is where I draw the line. These kids are expensive. Nappies are expensive. Formula is expensive. Uh, We're sending our daughter to preschool not so long from now. Preschool is expensive. Just everything. It's just, kids are just expensive. And it's so easy for me as well to just look at my situation, right, and just focus on that and be like, no, 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 because the situation I'm in, I, this is fine, right? And also, I was dating then. I was trying to impress my wife. I've got her now. There's no need. Uh, <laughs> there's no need for that, you know. It's just you know spur of the moment things that were said. And God has just been challenging me to say are you going to live out your plan for your life or are you going to live out my plan for your life? And the choice is mine. It really is mine. Is that will I obey God? Will I follow God? Would I worship God? Or will I just worship myself and my situation and my comfort and what I want and what I think is best for my life? And I guarantee you that what God has planned for your life is way greater than what you have planned for your life. What you think is best for your life isn't as good as what God thinks is best for your life. And so we have a choice. I, too, have a choice. Will I obey God? Will I disobey God? Because, again, when I, when I, when I get to heaven, God will not ask me about the expense of school fees and expense of nappies and formula and just how expensive it is to raise a child. He'll ask me, did I obey him or did I disobey him? And he will hold me accountable to that. And so as we close, I know we prayed it earlier uh, when Anna came up and she shared um, that image where God just showed her a harbor and the the, 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 the the orphans and the widows were coming into the harbor. Yet because we were just so full of anything and everything but what's on God's heart. There was no room for the, for, for, for the orphans and the widows and for the lost to come into this harbor simply because we are holding on to things that we think are more important than what's on the heart of God. I want us to identify those things now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to identify those things, to actually think it through and actually lay it down at the feet of God. Because all our excuses, all the things that we think are more important, they mean nothing in eternity. What's the most important thing is our obedience and our worship of God. And once you've identified that thing that, that you know, that it, you, you, it, it, it drains your time, you use your talents on it um, use your finances towards it and it's not something that really, you know it doesn't really bring glory to God. I want you to picture the cross and I want you to picture yourself holding that thing that is so dear to your heart that isn't dear to God's heart and I want you to picture yourself laying it down at the foot of the cross. Telling Jesus that, Jesus, I surrender this to you that you surrender your comforts, you surrender your dreams, you surrender what you think is most important and just wait on God to give you something in return. Here's what the Lord is saying to us this evening. Matthew 7 verse 13 and 14 says the following. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Enter by the narrow gate gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few is that the life as, as life as a son and a daughter in Christ life as the bride of Christ is not easy it's a very narrow road. It's not a road that most people walk on. It's not a road that most people travel on, but it is a road worthy to be traveled on because it leads to Christ. We have a decision to make: will we become like the world or will we become like Christ? Because becoming like Christ comes at a cost. It costs us our time. It costs us our talents. It will cost us our treasures. It will cost us everything. But that road will definitely lead you to life. And you can follow the easier road. The road where your life is about you. Your life is about making money. Your life is about just um, acquiring more and more and more. And you forget about what God is calling you to. It's, you, you can. You have the choice. No one is forcing you. No one's holding you a, a gun to your head. In Deuteronomy it says, "I put before you life and death, blessings and cursings. I urge you, choose life. I urge you to choose life. I urge you." To have a worship that is pure and undefiled before God. That you visit orphans and you care for widows in their affliction. And that you keep yourself unstained from the world. You have that choice to make. And it's up to you. And it's between you and God that choice you make. And I urge you, choose Life choose pure and undefiled religion. Choose following God no matter what it costs you. Because at the end of the day it's worth it. Because He is worthy. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of us surrendering our lives to f- for His glory, for His honor. He Father, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you are worthy. I thank you for your great love that you have poured into our hearts. I thank you, Father, for your redemption plan, that you have redeemed us and that you have called us sons and daughters and that you have called us the bride of Christ. And Father, for anyone who is sitting here who feels as though they're in the fringes of your love, who are outside of your presence, I pray, Father, that you would reveal the great love that you have for them. Father, I pray that you would commission us from your love, from your presence, that we would go and we would serve the orphan and the widow in our city. That, Father, we would look out for people who are in need and that we would not make lives about our lives, about us, but would make them about you. That we'd worship you in and everything that we do. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.